This episode of Making Games is Fun is with Paul Kilduff-Taylor from Mode 7. Now, Paul founded Mode 7 along with Ian Hardingham back in 2005. Their first real breakout title you've probably heard of is Frozen Synapse, and that came in 2011. And in 2017, Mode 7 became a publisher, and they've launched uh, Smack Games Tokyo 42, and Code by Fires the Colonists. Back in March of 2018, Paul announced that Ian was leaving the company because he was joining Oxford Brain Diagnostics as a chief technology officer, and he's there working on early detection of Alzheimer's. So we talk a bit about that. We talk about Paul's very first solo project, War Dialer, which came out on the day of recording. So that was pretty exciting. So he just, just released it. So we talk about how he felt about that. Uh, Paul creates loads and loads of music and created the entire soundtrack for War Dialer. So we do get into some game music chat in general, and that's pretty exciting. I recorded with Paul in his house, where he works, in Warwick. Travelled up there for the day, and it was a lovely old time. So I will leave you to get listening to it. Quick reminder that the Patreon is live, and you are either listening to this because you got the early access tier on Patreon, and you're listening a week early, or you're listening to it on the regular release, and what you're going to do now, I'm sure, is get yourself signed up for the early access so that when the next episode comes out next week, you'll be ready to grab that. Just get yourself over to patreon.com forward slash M-G-I-F and you can do that right now. Thank you very much. It will help me create more of this stuff and travel even farther afield and generally keep up the good work at a rate much faster than I've ever done before as I aim to make this my indefinitely running project documenting the people of the games industry through portraits and interviews like this. So if you like it, please consider supporting it. I put a very, very, very small amount of dosh in, and between a lot of you, we can make this work and make it happen. So thank you. If you've already donated, I really appreciate it. Genuinely, genuinely. And please enjoy the latest episode of Making Games is Fun. something you like fundamentally i think you often end up doing that thing where you just you just like it so much you want to keep doing it, you want to keep doing what you can do it, and then it actually becomes painful and it starts to you know the stress creeps in and the and the and the overwork creeps in and the burnout creeps in and i think that's it's just like finding a balance between those things i would rather have those things and boredom but those things are really dangerous as well um so it's, it's always just like the different parts of your brain editing the other parts and sort of just being open to that and, and listening to yourself at different times but it's it's really hard it's really hard to get it right and and I'm kind of I'm kind of the same like there are some you know even if I'm working on something I like there are times you don't want to show up to it and that's that's when it's the sort of just do your job thing kicks in you know if it is your job so you know go to work do your job and that's that's a good way of getting out of that I think 
um it's to sort of revert back to that's quite basic why are we why like are we i mean not just me and you i mean we as a species hmm. are so reluctant to think something as work and as soon as we think this is work or this is ah, this is something i've got to do then you start to have that that built-in reluctance come out and you're like oh i don't i don't want to do it now because i have to do it rather than oh I've, this is I've, i want to do this this is fun well i have some time for that argument that says kind of the way our education system is structured and the way our society is structured is sort of to make productive value producing workers for the system and i, I think there's there is quite a lot of that so i think as soon as you feel like you're becoming a useful cog in the system I think for a lot of people, particularly in games and other creative fields, you want to rebel against that. You want to be like, no, I can do this on my own terms. You know, it's not for anyone else's. And, and and again, for me, that's a balance thing. Like you're doing that work because you want to essentially kind of create value for other people to enjoy and experience, but you're also doing it for your own self-expression and to earn money. So those are all things that you have to kind of keep orbiting around. And if you get obsessed with one of those things too much, it just distorts and... You know, if you're going off the money too much, if you're going off to your own creative impetus too much and not thinking about the audience or thinking about the audience too much, then you that's how you get bad things. Let's get stuck into mode seven then, shall we? Sure. So, I mean, off the top of my head, it was founded in 2005. Very, very good, very and good. It's just, just off the top of my head, it's that one. Lodged in there. Um, but it was yourself and Ian. Yes, that's right. So we have been friends uh, since we were 15. Mm. We met at school and he was at university um, doing a lot of work in the Talk game engine, which is not an engine that you hear about much anymore. Rings a very faint bell, but please please uh, enlighten. So it was originally used for Tribes 2, um, which was an amazing sort of jetpacky multiplayer shooter kind of before that was yeah cool. that's it yeah yeah so it was a company called dynamics and they were involved with sierra and then there was some acquisition merger type thing and they formed a studio called garage games uh to pronounce it correctly <laughs> and uh they had this engine um which eventually became sort of one of the first like cheap licensed engines i think it was like a couple of hundred dollars um to use it way pre-unity like before anything else it was a fully featured 3d engine so Ian was, he did his final year project in that, um, which was making a, uh, like a sports camera to observe Tribes 2 competitive matches. Oh, cool. So it was like an AI director thing. Uh, and right, he, cool. It was very cool, actually. I remember him showing me, he had to write a paper about it, and he showed me this paper. I was like, I don't know if you'd be interested in this. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so he decided to make a game and enlisted the help of about sort of eight of his friends. And I was still at university at this time as well. And, and the way things panned out, uh, he always said I was the only person that did any work <laughs> and the rest of the development team just did basically literally nothing. Um, so we kind of decided to to stick together. And then after I left uh, uni, I was sort of applying for different jobs and things and not really getting that excited about any of it. And I, I sort of thought, well, what if I, you know, I try to make it work with, with Ian and, and we, you know, we worked on a project together. So I did a, a whole load of different things sort of simultaneously to stay alive while working on games um and then that project turned into our very first game determinant which was a flying sword fighting epic mm-hmm. uh which did not do well to, to <laughs> everyone's enormous surprise based <laughs> on that concept um but that led us on to 
yeah, it was our entry into the games industry. So sure. we did contract work and all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Graphics for TV quiz shows for a number of years as well after that. Um, and that was our, our sort of starting point to building a company and, and kind of going for it. Yeah. Okay. Let me, rolling back a little bit more. Um, when did you feel like you first got an interest in dev in general or in coding or in or in even thinking you might want to do that sort of thing like. it was actually through that first project so i i'd sort of played games as a kid and then kind of abandoned them as a teenager when i got into music production oh, so okay. i didn't play games from like the age of 15 to the age of 19 really at all right okay. so i had this big gap of like like oh. i missed uh deus ex i missed half-life 2 uh right. and that kind of era um but then through university kind of as you do and you're looking for every possible route to not work i kind of got back into games <laughs> yeah. again uh, and then we were working on determinants and I, I started to do doing music on that was was great and then i started doing some other things like um talk had this amazing like terrain editor because you could make these sort of sweeping vistas which originally intended for tribes games and i remember like ian got me painting a bit of terrain and i just found it fascinating i was like this is amazing i, I, right. I want to do things in games more <laughs> uh, and so it was from there that I, I sort of got interested in it and thought and, and part of it was you know doing music as well I'd done music for like five or six years by this point it's so hard to get anyone to notice anything at all I mean I'd played little gigs and things and released little albums locally and stuff right. but having a vehicle for that was was another like oh if you're working on music for a game like, that's a thing that someone yeah. might experience so I guess that pushed me more into wanting to do dev huh. so that's interesting you had a, a slight lapse do you think you would have come back to games otherwise or was it were you were you yeah i i, I think so I, I, it was more I, of a time like i need to put this to one side or? yeah it was it, i mean i was just spending every hour i possibly could on music um because as soon as you start particularly with electronic stuff you know there's a whole like wealth of things you need to learn and back then it was everything was hardware based so it was really like you had to really know if you're going to save up money to buy a piece of equipment you had to know what it was and if you made the wrong step you're kind of stuck for two years before you could buy something else so that was very mentally involving and just learning kind of all the techniques production techniques involved um, at that stage was really hard pre-youtube as well so a lot of like looking through magazines and talking to other musicians and just experimenting so it's, it's very time consuming kids these days they just go on like <laughs> dubsteptutorial.com i know it's fine. one youtube video and then they're ready to go and they're ready to go um then we got uh, of course we got frozen signups yes so that was 2011 uh, yeah. that came out so was that your first big that was the yeah that was the first thing we'd done so we did some contract projects that were sort of you know kind of decently successful for us huh. sort of as a company but this was the first thing we'd done that was any kind of attention from 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 the games community i remember determinants got in the oddball column of pc gamer to right. its oddball <laughs> column and that was like the height of our recognition yeah, okay. we were very excited about that yeah yeah and then frozen synapse came out and it was this really interesting conjunction of different things so we had this preview that kieran gillen wrote on rps when we did our, our pre-order beta which was kind of a really unusual thing mm. back then people didn't do early act well early access didn't exist yeah um so it was from there that we started to you know make money and people were playing the game we had a lot of people playing in beta which was really hugely surprising um and then yeah we got an email from steam saying would you like to put your game on steam and again that was that was always the goal before with determinants was to get on steam and we were desperately trying we tried everything 
we could and they said no and that was really heartbreaking um and then yeah and, and then it was it was about sort of i remember getting that email very strongly and then we uh, we we put it on steam and it because every steam user saw a game <laughs> that was released there which is unthinkable now unthinkable um yeah it took off for a while and uh, our servers died immediately remember that uh it got obliterated and we spent ages trying to sort that out um yeah and we got some some decent sort of attention as well yeah and so i guess i was just at the right time where um there wasn't quite the saturation we have now. No, no, it's nothing. Absolutely blown up, hasn't it? Exponentially, really. I think we were lucky in a couple of ways, and sort of, we made a good tactical choice in another couple of ways. So we we decided to bring back this style of gameplay very consciously that didn't have a modern offering. Like we we noticed that people were buying the old XCOM games, um, and we thought these are ancient games, and the UI is, is not good, you know, now. So if there was just a modern version of that, but then to do that with stuff to really condense the gameplay it was always about trying to make something for short gameplay sessions those were all conscious decisions um and i I think they were they were really good moves and then coupled with all the the luck kind of around that sort of magic that you get when you you do end up making something that gets a really good critical reception as well that that's that's very chaotic and difficult to understand process um that the combination of those i think was what what made it take off at the time so obviously big strategy uh vibe to mode seven right? yeah yeah what was that your thing was that ian's thing like what can you think back to sort of getting in the process of going right this is what it's gonna the game's gonna be Mm. like how did you come to that point so it was a lot of it came from Ian's love of Laser Squad Nemesis, which was a sort of lesser known. It was another Julian Gollop game. Um, it was a later project. It was multiplayer only, and it had a play by email mode. Um, cool. And okay. that was the game that he he sort of spent a, a summer kind of with one of our friends. They were they were on holiday together, and they they kind of go out, and then in the evenings they play Laser Squad Nemesis together. And he just kind of loved that sort of competitive vibe. Um, and we played that game. And sort of looked at it and went, what are the things about this that don't work? And one of them was it took so long to get into an interesting position with your units. Mm. There's like this enormous setup phase and you're inching towards each other for yeah. ages. And, ages. and we thought, what if we just got rid of that and it's just randomly generated and you're just in there? So all of that came from Ian, really. The, the, the strategy side of things was him wanting to design quite, I want to say, uh, rigorous systems, quite constrained with few mechanics right. that that you can use to kind of be creative in this quite limited possibility space. That was his thing at the time. Okay. And strategy for me was I'd always loved um, things like Civ and things like StarCraft where it had that world-building element to it Mm. where you felt like you were doing a thing or in a place or having a real experience. And that was kind of the thing that I always wanted to bring to it was a sense of world. So that kind of gameplay, because it's very specific it gives you a lot of freedom a lot of free reign to do stuff around it and that was the attraction for me so we kind of came at the strategy thing from those different angles really oh that's cool so you both had your own input and and, yeah 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 uh, what was important to you in in the strategy game yeah it makes it makes me think of um that sort of immediacy which is don't like don't know why my brain comes up with these things it just they come in it's it's like someone else is telling me it's like this isn't it guy but um you know like um chess puzzles in the paper right yes yes yeah like it makes me think of that where you're just right you're in the situation that was definitely 
part of it. And another part that, that Ian talked a lot about was Counter-Strike um, because he loved that um, sort of deterministic thing of when you if you come around a corner and you know where the opponent is mm. you're going to headshot them mm. and if you you know if you're if you're i wouldn't but a reasonably skilled player <laughs> yeah, you got i know really they are right <laughs> so there's that idea of like there's no health bars there's no like oh you ran their armor was this and you yes. roll, you didn't roll the thing you know there's <laughs> that like, kind of i've just dismissed like several genres with a, a silly <laughs> falsetto voice which is very just pathetic really it's very immature uh, and it's I deeply, enjoyed it. deeply immature <laughs> and condescending but that's kind of how we sort of viewed it at the time was it's kind of you make a decision and, and you see the output of that yeah. decision immediately yeah. and there's something very satisfying about that and especially the way i mean games now have really doubled down on the on the stats and on the loot mm. and on the and so it's nice to just sort of go the other way that's something that's important with design i think is where are the unexplored spaces where are the gaps that are left and again i think ian really zeroed in on that with with his design at the time there's something really satisfying about that clarity and because actually when you break things down a bit or simplify you can actually find more complexity and like um i can't remember the name of the game it's fairly recent it's the ftl people in into, into the, breach. the breach yeah i have to just sing yeah <laughs> sing everything me. before it and then it's it comes uh, to me delightful um like into the breach yeah it's, you know it's i mean there's there's that's a masterful some complication piece there but of it's, game design as well it's sort of yeah it, it, again it's sort of it's almost doing what we did to an XCOM game sort of to advance wars and kind of like yeah. looking at that and going what is good about this that I can tease mm. out. And you always end up making a game as soon as you yeah. change anything. I think a lot of games start out with, we're going to clone X. And then a designer goes, oh, I just kind of like to just fix this. And then it's a different game. Yeah. You can't. And that's something <laughs> yeah. audiences generally don't understand in games. Of like, if you change one thing, it's mm. a different game. Mm. Um, More so than you you might imagine as well, right? Yeah, definitely. Even, I mean, you, you see all the you see that a uh, uh, kind of player level with with you know nerfing or buffing a unit in a multiplayer game like it, it's just causes this cascade throughout the entire system and yep. that's just you're not even changing a rule you're changing mm. one one number um so that kind of i mean they they the work that they do you know on FTL and and, and into the breach is, is such a masterful they have such a grasp of presentation as well and how to sell everything and how to yeah. keep everything readable and it's it's, it's, it's really you know, just deeply, deeply impressive, like to me, as someone who's worked on slightly similar games to see how far they've run with those ideas and uh, unbelievably deserved success. There was the um, big exhibition at the VNA fairly recently, and it had, it was Journey. Yes. Did you go to that? I did. Yes. Yeah. You really saw good the stuff. way Journey started as this weird yeah. kind of top down. It looked like one of those uh, browser games, like um, one of those itchier, not itchier games, like um, what's the one where you're dot and you? Oh, like, Agario. Thank and you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, something like that, but not like you know, in terms of yeah. presentation and yeah, and this whole and it started life like that as a prototype, I guess. But like, just it's fascinating to see the transition between that to this kind of. Mm. Um, you know, emotional, artistic experience. The thing I've kind of learned about design as I'm sort of thinking about it more 
for myself now um i was always sort of ian's second in command with design so he would kind of make the leap and, and sort of go in a direction and then i'd be the the person going like oh have you thought about this and like trying to trying to tweak so yeah. that was always my role and now i'm kind of moving into a situation where i want to be doing you know i want to take more responsibility for design mm. on projects myself the thing i'm really learning is that really nobody can write a design document that is even slightly meaningful as soon as you start getting into prototypes um yeah there's a, some of the design theory stuff i like is is really about you have a, a set of assumptions and then a set of things you know are going to be problematic and those are the areas you prototype so if you make a big assumption like this is going to be fun you prototype that and see if it is if you know that there's a system that you're going to run into trouble with later on, you prototype that as well. And then you kind of look at that and go, is, does that even work? What are the, how long is this going to take us to sort out? And that kind of reading and, and thinking about that kind of thing gave me a lot more confidence to kind of go like, I don't have to magically know everything in advance to be a designer and, and kind of go that route more. Is it a case of going like having a quite a, somewhere between sort of simultaneously distinct and vague yeah brief where it's like i want to make a game that is tent a tense game about uh doing your taxes on time right uh and then you might suggest a genre you might be you know uh turn-based strategy right yeah a tense turn-based strategy about getting your taxes on time and i want it to feel i want it to have a sense of humor and mm. i want it to be uh a, have a addictive loop so no yeah. it's probably too much already but then you go then you start prototyping saying, well how what how might we do that and then you start sort of plinking from yeah piddling about from <laughs> plinking and piddling plinking is and a piddling lot of the process from there right yeah and uh, and it's sort of that's okay it's you don't have to be clearer than that i think when you start i, I think having those big sort of vague conceptual ideas of how you want something to feel are actually very useful because they can be your sort of guiding lights when you're you're deep in the plinking um you can plink towards those things as opposed to just down into a hole or away from them plink towards don't plink away yeah right <laughs> exactly so at least at least you kind of have somewhere to go and then from there it's sort of just about yeah testing these individual units of something and, and building them up into a into a hole because yeah. games fundamentally just work by these very odd orbiting interactions of different elements and it, you can only you know i was talking to cliff harris um from positech games who did democracy and production line and right. published big pharma so he does these big system games and he was saying that with his games he doesn't know if they're good until they're finished because everything is it's a huge system they're systemic driven games and until you have all these features and parts working yeah. you actually just don't know if the game fundamentally works and that's totally terrifying to me and uh, <laughs> yeah, we yeah. always sort of worked on different principles but it's you know a designer as experienced as him he's been i mean he's sort of been doing indie games since about 2001 so kind of before most people in the indie scene have started to hear someone like that go no i just don't really know like, I just, have to just, just do stuff and then it either works or it doesn't again it's sort of it's Some reassuring reassuring yeah. and terrifying you think yeah oh. right I'll never, I'll never get that comfortable process. I think, yeah, that for some reason, again, feel it pains to point out that he's not necessarily my favourite film director, but I remember Quentin Tarantino saying that he's, uh, every time he does a new film, he feels like he's starting again. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Yeah. Um, I just remember him saying that, I don't necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and you think... That's, I think there's, yeah, there's some elements, there's some elements of that. I mean, there's definitely sort of, 
I think knowing where you are in the process is really helpful. And that's where yeah. experience comes in. You, yeah. you know, if something isn't working, you kind of know what it's going to take to to go through the loop again and figure it out. And that's that's yeah. the thing that I I think is more is more daunting of kind of just just not knowing. I mean, w- with music, I I kind of am quite formulaic in the way I work, and so I know like I need one of these sections and one of those sections, and I need to get from this section to that section, mm. and I can tell if each of those units are working or not working, and and usually why, and that's an experience thing as well. You know, you know like oh this is because the sub doesn't interact with the mid range of the bass properly so i need to probably throw that all out and do another one like that's 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 where experience comes in right so the game equivalent of that is being able to go "Mm, this probably isn't fun because i don't have enough choice here or i have too much choice here or i'm too constrained by this other thing that i did and i need to you know that's that's what you can learn i think yeah for sure um so if you're playing a game Mm. i do sometimes occasion yeah (laughs) um are you able to turn your design brain off when you're playing something if you're just getting into something or or are you sort of are you sort of going along and thinking oh right they've used this i think it's funny because especially in in small indie teams you have so many different lenses that you view things through like there's the marketing lens there's the ux lens which especially if you're looking at you know AAA where they really worked through all that stuff and they've got multiple teams of people doing UX um yeah and then and then there's core design so I think I think you can shut it off but it's you'll often notice something and it will kind of tip you off into that whole like world of you know and for me sound as well like sometimes I'll, I'll kind of tune into sound design in a game and spend a long time thinking about that um so it, it it's yeah but the ability to kind of shut all that off and enjoy something I think it's really important to retain that Otherwise, you do start to forget sort of why you're doing it anyway, and it just becomes this this huge game that you're playing with with the world of sort of making games, and that's not a good and healthy place to be. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so let's roll back to the timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to talk about uh, the um, the shift in the in the company where you start becoming a publisher yeah and paul uh, sorry you're <laughs> i'm reading paul on my other oh, paul ah, dark dark paul dark paul <laughs> <laughs> paul's not a name that suits that is it <laughs> it's not dark is it? paul they call me paul. shadow paul um sorry you announced on the blog that ian was leaving to yes. do which I was, I was reading it the other day it was fascinating to go and join oxford brain diagnostics and he yeah. was so he's involved with the it, um like being able to this research into being able, being able to detect alzheimer's early right that is correct yeah so he's doing like real adult things <laughs> like, like matter to people's lives and stuff <laughs> yeah you'd like, uh, <laughs> have to be all right fair enough to be fair yeah off you go what's all that about um yeah so that so he's working on it's basically kind of machine learning for um kind of mri imaging uh so right. that he's working on a system that is able to look at a large number of MRI scans of Alzheimer's patients and help with basically drugs trials and I think potentially early diagnosis. Although, um, yeah, obviously I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a sure. spokesman for their yeah, sure, for their sure. company, so please yeah. do do check their website out. So is the idea that, that it's mm-hmm. it's taken 
so many like it's such a huge data bank of images and it's yes, saying that's, is there that's, a similarity? as far as I understand it, that's that's what he's doing. So it's it's kind of a tech role and he's also quite involved with, you know, the business. They're a startup um based in Oxford, kind of spin off from Oxford University. Um yeah, and he he decided to do that, which is it was obviously a very big change, but I think the thing we've accomplished that I think it's very unusual, actually. So I mentioned that we were we were friends, sort of going back to you know being teenagers. Yeah. We've actually our relationship now is still is still very good, and we talk a lot. And I go down to Oxford and see him and hang out with him a lot. Cool. And we sort of survived all these different transitions from being friends to working together to yeah. having quite a lot of success together to sort of ending that phase of the company you know uh while retaining that relationship which is just really unusual and it's it is a bit weird um mm. like when we see each other we'd always sort of start with like an hour of quite intense work chat and then we'd eventually you know evolve into normal pub conversation and, and now it's just like we still kind of talk about work but we're not working together it's it's, it's so it really odd yeah, yeah it's not yeah so actually how old were you when you started um the company uh so like 21 yeah 21 yeah I mean, he's very happy doing what he's doing now. And at the end of Mode 7, it was very, you know, very challenging and, and uh, a sort of very tough time for all of us work-wise. So, so to see him kind of come out, come through that and, and just land somewhere, mm. you know, where he's doing really well and working on something really interesting is, is awesome. How did that come about for him anyway? Like, had that opportunity like he was just he uh, applied for the job and got it. It's one of those things where something comes up where... I think it's was really suited to his skills uh -huh. and and a lot of the things he'd learned from games and he's a you know he, he, we often kind of we talk about him as a designer but he's a phenomenal coder and and very unusual as a coder he's very um sort of flexible in his thinking on on certain things and right. amazing systems designer so something like more of a tech role is, is is really good for him yeah so yeah so there's the focus kind of shifted to publishing um mm. But oh, oh, and also, of course, with the change in in the team dynamic, the a lot of other people are, ended up having to go, or you know, moving moving people to different places. Yeah, so it was James and Robin who were the other kind of full time employees um, who'd worked with us for for a long time. Um, yeah. Sadly, they they both had to go. Um, and the thing with that, which I think made that a bit better, was that they really fully understood the situation, and we, yes. we kind of worked to try and keep them in the loop and and make sure that that transition was set up properly you know there's been a lot of press about how games companies treat employees on exit and yeah. it's always been something that i've been just really angry about and and so mm. when it came to having to do that for two people i i really tried my best to make sure that not only did they have all the things that they were entitled to have but also that it was that it was a smooth transition for them so yeah so when you were all working together were you working together in the same so place, ian or? robin and james worked in an office in oxford and i largely worked here and i, I would go down a couple of times a month yeah right okay so yep. you were so that was still your setup at the time as you yes yeah, here. yeah. I, i'd be here and then i would go Working i would go from, down there yeah from home and then and then that's right up to sort of collaborate and that's right i was gonna say because i was wondering um how it felt to have that sudden change in in the staffing for it to be like everyone basically everyone just moving yeah. moving out right but yeah. i guess if you weren't physically working for me them, it, it was... wasn't it wasn't a huge change i mean it, it's it's sort of difficult and different to kind of you know we would always be in, in group chat all the time and then to not have that every day mm. is a different sensation sort of like i uh, you know but but i'm sure it's, it's something that will kind of come up again i mean I, I obviously still work with freelancers and, and other people kind of so there's people around 
um, that I work with. And, and we'd always done that. We had some very long-term freelancers that would work with at Mode 7, and they're still sort of about doing things. Um, and right. I'm putting together a project at the moment which is likely to use a few of those people. So it would kind of be back into the swing yeah, of that. Yeah, okay. So everyone's still around. Yeah. and it's just But we were always, you know, we always wanted to keep it sort of small in-house, but, you know, have a, a group of other people. Mm. That seems to be the way a, a lot of people are doing it now as well, yeah, which is which is a really useful and interesting idea and i think it yeah it kind of reflects the way modern work takes place a lot more and mm. a lot of people want the flexibility of you know you don't have to go to the same place every day at the same time um it, it's really it's really good for that there are a lot of advantages to it so um did the change in the team size dictate this change in direction with the publishing as well or was it something no, that, so that came anyway, about or? before um we okay. actually so we started publishing like 2016 um right, okay. and that's sort of when we signed tokyo 42 which was our uh, which was our first game and then right. we and then we moved to doing that and the colonists which also kind of came out um like last year uh and so that was that was a shift that we had decided to make just by virtue of the fact that we were kind of thinking about ways that we could actually use our experience like we've been doing you know indie game stuff like 13 14 years at that point mm. so we were like we've got to try and expand and frozen science 2 was, was taking a long time we'd always get stuck in kind of long time frames on our own projects and I, get, I was looking at kind of how can we be more productive in terms of what we're putting out and right. you know what we're involved with so that was sort of the shift that we we made there um and that ended up working really well like you know both projects that we did have done well um i have another thing that i've signed uh recently that was going to be announced soon so it's something that i kind of am continuing with at the moment that's cool what do you enjoy about publishing what's i think it's the ability to help bring something good into the world is is that that's sort of the most enjoyable factor of it, it just being able to be at a slight remove for, for something i mean obviously you know with a lot of projects you're funding it and and it wouldn't you know the devs need the money to make the game so yeah. if, you, if you're funding something you're really directly facilitating it but it's also being able to it's someone else's creative vision um and then you can fit in with your experience sort of around that and and yeah. kind of communicate with them and, and help guide what they're doing yeah. um, and then the other aspect is helping stuff get attention you know it's very satisfying when you are able to generate attention for something especially in the current climate um you know something that might not reach an audience otherwise uh yeah all of those things are, are rewarding um but it's it can be quite nerve-wracking it's tough it's hard committing money to someone else's project when you're sort of used to you know living or dying by your own decisions mm, yeah um, so you have to have a lot of trust involved but everyone we've worked with on the publishing side has been you know amazing people with a lot of integrity and worked extremely hard like every single dev we work with is, is very hard working and, and and very committed to what they're doing and that's something i look for when i'm signing something you know is is those personality traits of someone who if you give them an opportunity they're going to take it um right so, yeah what, what's the dynamic like between sort of um putting your input in and you know suggesting things or working on ideas for things you think oh what, what have you tried this and that kind of thing how how does that pan out i think it's it's very situation specific right so there might be areas where the person you're working with is very open and and they don't really know you know they're trying to feel their way and so other input is useful um then there are areas where someone's going in a direction that you strongly disagree with and those are kind of kind of hard and with that i tend to if everyone really cares about making the best thing they can you often have to let that sort of 
die of its own accord if you think it's going to go wrong you kind of have to allow space for it to go wrong and a lot of a lot of designers i think all designers are like that you know to be a designer you have to occasionally fixate on trying to achieve something and it might be wrong and knowing when to give that thing up and when to sort of stop being married to it is very very hard so for that i think that like if you're doing kind of any advice on the design side for a game that you're publishing you have to know when to step back and when to kind of just go you know let's try it even if you don't agree um it's it's just all the usual collaborative working things of like there's a push and pull to it for and sure you've got to read that person and sort of what their intentions are yeah yeah, yeah. And, and deal with see how they respond to things yeah and, and sort of yeah get into that person's but i always i'm always very clear that you know i'm if i'm signing a game it's for that person's creative vision like it's it's their game and yeah. if they, you know they're gonna if they want to make something that i think is you know might have some issues they're gonna have to sort of sell that to me of, of like no i believe in this and i'm gonna prove you wrong kind of thing uh -huh. that's great i love that you know i love to be proved wrong it's very easy to be proved wrong in games all the time <laughs> especially if you're looking at early stage projects there are so many things you see and you just think what is that uh and then it will come out usually five years later if it's, if it's <laughs> yeah. something you're really like wow uh, and do well so it's sort of you have to be very aware that you're not your judgment isn't good even yeah. if your experience and you hear this from really top level publishers as well people who work in signing projects almost every major publisher i've heard they all have their horror stories about how they passed on you know whatever whatever game it's yeah. It's, yeah. it's so hard yeah yeah and that game turned out to be prom queen. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. There's so many of those stories. <laughs> and just some hilarious ones that I can't repeat where it's just like <laughs> you you ruined everything by, by passing on that. Oh, God, yep. yeah. Yep. And they have to be like, well, let's just not think about it ever. That's yeah, fine. It's, but, it, but it's that you just learn to, to deal with that. You know, it's, yeah. it's the, co, the sort of coalescence of something you want to sign that you can sign, that you're, you're placed to. You know, often things that you want and that dev isn't right for you or they you know mm. they want to go someone else um and that's fine and you have to kind of let all of those all of those go it's hard to have that be... foresight as well a lot of the time yeah, it's yeah, usually yeah. something like well we couldn't possibly have seen this and right like yeah. oh, here we are like 15 years later and it's yeah. obvious but obviously you didn't have that i always think you know if you find something that's a good fit that you can have a substantial impact on the outcome and it does well you should be really happy with that <laughs> you know don't, yeah. you don't spend time looking at the things that you can <laughs> get or like but everyone does everyone does Um, so, big music man over there, <laughs> sat there, music, Mr. Music, he's looking around, no view. Oh, me. Um, I was going to ask you when you start making music, but we've, we've covered that. Yeah. What, here we go, what do you enjoy more, music or dev? <laughs> Daddy or chips. Daddy or chips, music um, or dev. Uh... God, if no, if the younger people listen to that, I don't get that reference. Be, <laughs> Forget that. Sorry, Daddy or what? <laughs> it's, I think it works well <laughs> just without the context. Uh, don't Google that, by the way. Yes. Um, <laughs> I kind of need to have both, which is a cop out option. I think when yeah. I'm when I'm sort of in the thick of it, probably music, because that's where I kind of feel most creatively comfortable, and I sort mm. of know what I'm doing, and I, I, I'm you get very instantaneous feedback on, you know, you make a thing and you can listen to it. And right. games, you might make a decision and then three years later, you're like, oh, that was wrong. Yeah. So, uh, but but Dev, I think the, I love the impact that a game can have. 
and I think that's you know it's such a total experience if you have narrative and visuals and gameplay and music all happening to you at once it's kind of almost overwhelming and I love that feeling of being able to create or, or, or you know create that feeling in another person that's yeah. sort of exciting to me about dev so dev I see as like a broader wider discipline that encompasses more things and is sort of a bit more angst ridden and music is kind of my comfort zone of like it's you know i can do this in this amount of time and i want to have this effect and I, it's more kind of controlled for me do you find it easier if you're doing both so i know at the moment you've got uh war dialer which is your yes. personal project right um and you're doing both mm. do you find it well number one do you find it easier to be doing both um because you can go back and forth between the two things like you know without having to go oh come in come in for at half 12 we'll do an hour seeing if this works and go away again um do you find it easier to be able to just flip between those two things or do you think it's better to have someone collaborating it's definitely different i, I think with water i kind of found it a bit hard because i kept switching hats all the time and i was sort of like oh i could do this would suit this style of music more but i want to do that style of me and i kind of was having the debate internally and then i just decided to like really split the two things up and just do i i refused to allow myself to work on any music until the game was done right okay. uh, and then when i switched to music i'm like okay the game is is a set point now i'm not going to change it i have to do music that will will still work with that while being the thing i want to do right um and i'm i'm a really uh, i'm a weird game musician in that i don't like interactive music and dynamic music i generally just really strongly dislike it i think it's often done oh. very very badly ah, um, okay. and it really constrains what you're allowed to do musically and i don't like being constrained what i'm allowed to huh. do musically um and I actually, I remember ages ago, I was, I was sort of thinking about this issue and, and going like, am I, am I crazy for being so hardline about this? And I did a little survey of our Frozen Synapse players. Yeah. And I said, like, generally in games, what do you prefer? Do you like dynamic music or do you like, you know, what I call jukebox style? Like the, the sort of archetype of that is Command and Conquer. Again, all these up-to-date references <laughs> for, your, for your young audience. But like Command and Conquer, it just literally had a jukebox and it yes, had a player with it. It was, true, it was amazing. Yeah. And everyone remembers the music from that game. Yeah. Oh, I love that game. Oh, I love the music. Um... Uh, and overwhelmingly the, the people in our community were like actually kind of like the jukebox thing. I like just having the music there and choosing what I play and kind of mm. doing that and it's not now there are people who do interactive music brilliantly and it works incredibly well in, in certain games you know one of the touchstones I always think about is Dead Space um, and Jason Graves like work I just think is amazing mm. he's such a he's brilliant at kind of weaving sound through the project and, and kind of mm. doing it in an atmospheric way and, and I, I love that like he's, he's an enormously fantastic musician I was going to and he said he's an enormous musician he's not he's quite a, quite a <laughs> slim man um, but uh, I derailed my brain it's the the thing about the the jukebox size, I kind of thought well if I feel this strongly about it why don't I just kind of pick that and I that's my thing and I do that and there's all yeah. everyone else can do interactive stuff and, and, I, and I do that so that means that I can use song structure I can kind of develop the music and it also means that all of the music kind of has to work with the game so if you have softer sections and and louder sections and more you know exciting stuff it all has to kind of weave in uh and I just kind of like that. It's like a weird challenge um, that you're trying to create this consistent atmosphere, even though you have variation. Again, it doesn't mean that I'll never do dynamic music for something. I'm sure that there would be a project where it just had to be. You know, it was yeah. too wildly different tonally, and it, or it was a more sort of atmospheric, ambient thing. And that you know that would be fine. But for me, I kind of feel like it's one of the things that makes me stand out as a musician. And people certainly have reacted really well to 
the soundtracks that we've done kind of luckily and, and, and they're they're quite keen to listen to them outside the games as well which is mm. which is good um yeah so i sort of had a, a, a weird perspective on that no it's interesting i think made me think there's almost three in my head just from me here me the layman enthusiast hello there's three almost three sort of approaches i think there's pro- probably more but there's three i can think of um one being, like you said, the jukebox, like Command and Conquer. And as you say, like Red Alert, I'm thinking of Red Alert 2 and the, yeah, the yeah. Hell March. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's Hell March immediately, and that's playing in my head since you mentioned that. It's not right. stopped playing, right? See. Uh, <laughs> it's a scary, really scary song. It's a really terrifying <laughs> song. You go and listen to it now, yeah. you're like, oh, like, whoa. Whoa. Like, um, not... Almost prophesizing these days, right? Oh, wow. But um, there's that. There's the jukebox thing. Yep. Um, and, you know, you might have that with, like, what the games like Sonic, right? Or yeah. like Mega Man, or like you think like a Capcom or a platform, or it's playing. Mm. It's playing. You listen to it and it's playing. Yeah. And usually that's because, well, hey, guess what? You, it's going to be all action all the time. So there's no yeah. need for a change in tone, really, is there? <laughs> um, the most, the earliest and most basic idea of dynamic music I can think of is Street Fighter, right? It's so like Street Fighter yes, 2. Where it speeds up. When your health is low, right? Yeah, right. That's true. Yeah, and there and there are sort of other. I mean, like Mario Land, and it's sort of kind of going back. There, there are things like there will be layers that come in. I think, or, or perhaps. I, I mean, there's the, stuff yeah. like change. You know, there's like the power up music and the, right. Yeah, but, but, and that kind of is, is that stopping and starting a, a song. But there's yeah, there's different elements. Does Mario Land have layers in them? No, maybe it probably doesn't have layers. Sure. I don't think. I don't think you could do that. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Like speeding up was a thing, uh-huh. you know, the Sonic underwater levels. Yeah. Oh, oh I can't Sorry actually make same. Of all the things to bring up in yeah. a games podcast, the worst thing from our childhoods. I have a <laughs> phobia of, I, I, I'm fine with swimming. I'm fine with going under the water. Yeah. No problem at all. Just when you have to get oxygen from the floor. Or, <laughs> I hate which that. Is often, that was, your, uh, that was your silver badge, wasn't it? Got oxygen from the floor. <laughs> But uh, it's when you have like it's, it's a number counting down above your head. Sorry, I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> it's 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 water underwater with a ceiling over your head. Mm. And mm. <sighs> just trying to breathe. <sighs> right now, I'm trying to. Oh, Does anyone on. like that though? Well, I mean, no, yeah, no one's. <laughs> you know what I love? <laughs> <laughs> underwater ceiling. I can't get enough of them. For my, I'm having one put in. My actually. 21st birthday, I want to have, be underwater with a ceiling <laughs> so I can't get up. You know, okay, no one really enjoys it. But like I can draw a line between like <laughs> I can draw a line between like Sonic doing it right, and you can't right. get out. And there's the and the the number, and there's a bit in The Last of Us where you have to go under to get go and get a key, bit of a key or something. And it, and it's the same thing with a ceiling. And I'm like, this is the same thing. <laughs> I've not played that game. That's all right. I'm, I'm fine. Bad, bad games industry person. Don't 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 mind if you haven't played it. Okay. It's okay. Don't worry. It's fine. Some people don't. Like. I do like it, but some people don't like I, it. It looks like I'd like it. It's fine. Some yeah, it's, good. it's mostly good. It's got problems. We're not going to it now. Okay. We're not going to it now because there'll be 40 minutes that'll have to cut out of me going, and I wish they'd just committed <laughs> to this because I do love it. <laughs> me, However, me just shrugging. Anyway, and me just going, ah, and you're like, it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go and make him some food or something. Calm him down. Anyway, tangents. I love, but I love tangents. We love tangents it's on fine. the podcast. It's fine. We say this all the time. Um, and the third type of music yep. that's what we were talking about initially is um for some reason diablo cropped him to my head the original right uh, yeah okay and that's not dynamic hmm. but it's and obviously like the idea of uh a different 
area of different music isn't crazy, isn't dynamic. Right, but yeah, with but that, mm. you're in the town. There's a Tristram theme. Yes. Which is a... Bang. Yes. What a, what a banger. I thought you were going to say banger. <laughs> <laughs> banger. <laughs> it was very good. I agree. Um, <laughs> banger. That was the original version before I decided to use a guitar. Just takes the fear out of it. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. Also, that phrase doesn't come into common usage for about 10 years. <laughs> yeah, how did so they no know? know what I mean. Um, so that. Mm. And then when you go into the the first dungeon area, it has that yes. kind of... Yes, It's just like an ambient... Mm. It's really Pad nice. Thing. Yeah. Not nice, not nice. It's awful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awful brackets, good. Yeah, that's... Yeah, so yeah <laughs> you, you're right. You do have location. I guess RPGs kind of did that before and battle themes. I remember the... The f- the only sort of one of those those JRPGs I really got into was Golden Sun on the Game Boy Advance, and that no one's played that. And it's it's got this amazing battle theme that has, you know that I'm trying to think about. There's a composer, I think it's Nobu Matsu, or maybe maybe Koji Kondo. Anyway, there's a there's a, a sort of what, Japanese composer, and he'd always do like a bar or two bars of like completely. <laughs> almost irrelevant intro before yeah. the theme kind of kicks in yeah. and this golden sun battle music it goes like just has this co- it, like irrelevant sort of like chord modulation thing of like <laughs> what, yeah. what? and What's then it just yeah. drops into this very <laughs> lyrical theme like, right that's amazing so i love that like for transitions you can either do a mm. subtle blend or you can just be like okay <laughs> and that's i, I like yeah, the boldness of that <gasps> yeah that that leads me to a question as you're saying earlier, you think a lot of it is done badly. The the um, dynamic. Dynamic. Do you think? Would you say? How would you? Well, I'm not going to put. I'm going to ask you. I'm not going to say. Do you think this? Um, Shadow of the Colossus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's the there's no so it's no music. Yep. And then there is the you find the boss mm. and it's that kind of yeah do do almost like a ponderous. What do you do next? What are you going to do? Can you work it out? And then you right. work it out. And then it's, just, you're on a big So that kind land. of layers up, doesn't it? And sort of, but if like I remember this, correctly. In my head, like after you saying that, you might have spoiled that for me. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I'm it doesn't, I, don't, of, um, I don't remember, but yeah. There's the bird one. Yes. Where you go to the watery bit with the bits of rock sticking out the floor and all that. And you've got to, and, and that has that kind of ponderous. Yeah. Um, and then, and uh, to be fair, this is probably a technical limitation, right? Um, the bird swoops in, and you jump, and you make the grab, and then it's like oh, three seconds of silence. Maybe mm. not three seconds, a couple of seconds, and then the theme. Yeah, yeah. So that is probably like a technical limitation, which is what, yeah, the, well, what you would want is as soon as you grab the fur. Yeah. Duh, that's the first hit of the... right. String is that strings? Uh, yeah, I think so. um, yeah, the first hit of the dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's that kind of thing where there's yeah little loading gaps and stuff. I mean that's that's kind of games always have problems like that. But the thing that I particularly sort of struggle with it is that thing where you have different stems kind of coming in and out. And again, like so good examples of this might be like um, Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, um, which Eamon Tobin did. Right. Um, and that's that's a really good use of that because his music is naturally very, it's just like loads of percussion layers. Uh, and so if you like have 10 or three, it still sounds like Eamon Tobin and you're like, oh, that's cool. Okay, so it's someone sure. hitting some pans. Um, <laughs> so that works really well, but, but it's other stuff where it's sort of like you can just hear the like, 
you know, you go towards the enemy and like the Moncato string and then you go in and it's sort of, it just feels very, it's like you'd never write a piece of music like that. So to listen to it, you're just kind of like, huh? I know that this is reacting to me, but it sounds terrible. So I'm just... So you would argue that that could be served better by maybe like a couple of audio cues that's more sound design think, rather than a yeah, soundtrack. I think, I think sometimes you can actually just, just use cues and just have a piece that's playing for that section. Right. It often can work better. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but it, I feel like there's always going to be, it's got to be sp- game specific and gameplay specific. Yeah. And, and I think like there was a whole period of time where Certainly in AAA, everyone wanted this dynamic stuff, mm. like uh, up the wazoo, and it was sort of really—that's a technical term. Uh, <laughs> it was really prevalent, yeah, because it was like a cool technical thing to do. Uh-huh. And, and in games, that's always bad. Like, just mm. do something that's thematically fits, and totally appropriate, game. and yeah. then you know, yeah. Makes um, you think of um, which I feel like is is a memorable one at the very least is um, just for kids music on um. Assassin's Creed on the first Assassin's yes. Creed. Yeah. Sadly, the game didn't live up to the music <laughs> overall, in, in my opinion. But that idea of like, you know, the, the whole point was you'd sneak up, assassinate the, the chap in the public square. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so posh. Assassinate the chap in the public square. <laughs> Say. And bloody well rack off at speed. Tremendously uncouth. And, uh, and then the music, the escape music was just... Yes. Well, it's, I mean, yes, because anything that... Yes, because just gets a pass that he can do anything yeah. that'd be good so yeah. it's fine yeah, <laughs> everything true, yeah. I just said we just get rid blood, of that Blood Money was great, oh, great. The, the, Blood Money I think for me it was I like I prefer his stuff when it was still kind of referencing like his older electronic sort of demo scene things okay. and Blood Money is like that perfect sweet spot of mm-hmm. lot, that was really influential on the Frozen Sign Up soundtrack was oh, the, the, okay. the Blood Money um, score because it was just like, oh, you can do that kind of cinematic-y, stealthy thing, but uh, it can still have electronic elements and kind of... Yeah. yeah I, was, I was, like, super impressed with that. And thought, like, oh. flavoured with... Peppered with... Uh, yeah, I, I still like that blend of... And it often sort of sampled instruments, I think, can sound quite good for that kind of thing. They have that... You can use that artificiality to your to your benefit. Now, these days, everyone wants orchestras and, and, and that's, you know, real players and ev- that's cool and obviously it, it works well, but I kind of... I'm a bit of a sucker for, like, an old an old sampled Koto or something that's just, you know, that's sort of being played completely wrong. You know, uh-huh. just an, an actual player of that instrument would think it was sacrilege. Um, uh-huh. There's something about that that's quite cool and, and it's sort of... Um, I'm thinking about, like, um, Alexander Brandon and um, other people sort of working in game music on older stuff right. where, you know, things like Unreal and, and Deus Ex where they were using trackers and it was very, like like the deus ex hong kong theme which is very like <laughs> wrong <laughs> yeah, and sort of yeah, played yeah. wrong but yeah. it's, you can hear that melodic line in your head because it's so like like it's these uh-huh. little little tiny samples yeah um i like that those sort of technical constraints and the the influence they have on sound i think are cool and it, you shouldn't just it's not better because it's more realistic as it goes sure. for music as well sure. i'm always fascinated by um because I'm a massive Street Fighter fan. I, I had noticed. Yeah, I had noticed. Yep. Yeah, okay, yep. yeah, you know, you know, it's everywhere. Everyone knows. Everyone knows this. <laughs> um, I am fascinated by the music and the history of the music in those games, mm. Mm. Um, because 
to all intents and purposes, it's it's bad, <laughs> or it's well, cheese. It's cheese, and it's you know, yeah, it's mad. Positionally, right? like it's pretty good actually. Even even the yes, the the cheesy originals. Yeah, yeah. like cheese. Yeah, maybe not bad, but like it's you yeah, know, yeah. It's 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 pretty cheese. It's kind of there's a lot of kind of. I feel like there was kind mm. of Rocky inspired all those kind of films, American yeah. uh, determined American underdog style musical racist stereotypes. Yes, that will yeah, that as well. Yeah, that's a big one. Yep. Yeah, yeah, definitely that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but what they've all, <laughs> but what Capcom always managed to do is, um, they've they've kept the the motifs and the heritage of what that kind of music sounds like and it and it kind of permeates throughout all the games no matter where that's why that's why i love taken. melody in in game music and yeah it, it that was sort of pushed aside again for like the cinematic you know hans zimmer frame drums like i mean that's yeah. kind of a bad example because a lot of you know hans zimmer writes amazing melodies and sort of i feel like people almost took the wrong thing from that but that only works when you have themes for every character you know real yeah. themes and and then you can do all the stuff they've done with you know the overclock remix stuff and they all that recent stuff of you know having people sort of community sourcing remixes uh -huh. and that kind of thing which i think is really interesting um it means that you can have that lineage through because you can recognize something yeah um and it triggers something in your brain of yeah like you get yeah. that certain sound that you only associate with that right series or that that type of game and, and it just makes you go oh yeah yeah that's there's something about how massively repetitive those themes are as well that uh -huh. sort of drill them in and, yeah and, and, and you kind of i remember like you know if you're playing you're a kid playing single player street fighter and you're you're trying to beat guile uh -huh. And you have that that guile theme, which is just a, obviously a huge meme now. But every time you kind of, it just sort of makes you go, "Oh, the sonic booms are coming." Yeah, <laughs> you kind of just yeah. like just has that noises. really powerful emotional effect on you. And having those those sound effects layered over it in your brain as well, because right. you associate the two, right. right? And it's almost part of the that's almost the dynamic part of the soundtrack. Right? Yeah, it it, it is. <laughs> I, again, I think like a really characterful individual cues and individual sounds kind of do get lost as soon as you go for realism in sound design mm -hmm. because you need a lot of different elements like you know you don't have your door opening sound in a game because you have mm. all the different weights of doors and materials and yes. metal doors and automatic doors and that so you don't have that whereas like the the doom door opening sound mm. like everyone can remember mm -hmm. how that goes thanks so, for playing that in my head <laughs> right and <laughs> And things like there was also this really weird shared cultural reference base, like um, the fireball in Doom is uh -huh. a fireball sound that you hear in like every movie from that period, and because all the designs were using the same sample libraries, so there's all this kind of inadvertent quotation between different things that sort of define an era sonically, and then these days are just kind of like it is just sound. It's just anything. Um, the uh the rocket explosion sound from right. uh doom is in where boys fear to tread the first <sighs> track on smashing pumpkins on melancholy really? on the right? second cd I didn't, of melancholy. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah there you go it's a perfect example it's in the that's a perfect example you, you kind of there's something about that that weird like inadvertent yeah, yeah like ref sonic <laughs> reference base that's, that's been yeah. really lost but but i think you know there are devs who are really attuned to that like i just saw um 
you know, uh, Terry Kavanagh and uh, Chipsall released Dicey Dungeons that kind of came out I think, mm. yesterday or today. And, yes, you know, that's has, got this it? huge, expansive, like Chipsall soundtrack. And she obviously did the music for Super Hexagon as well. Uh-huh. And that, that her music is amazing. And not only is it sort of using the Game Boy stuff, which I think is, is evocative for a lot of people, but it's melodically really like it has a modern but melodic sensibility that kind of really really works so there's a lot of good stuff like that in contemporary game music which is using the advantages of of the older stuff so going back to wardana yeah when you're doing everything (laughs) right and also i know you do you like to do writing and you've got other side projects and things like that um as someone guilty of splitting my attention between multiple things at once, like talk to me about how you manage like your time, if and if you do, if you do it successfully or not, and your sort of your time and your enthusiasm between everything. Like, I think so. I tend to try and focus on one thing at once, and and sort of getting that thing done as much as I can. So when I was doing War Dialer. So War Dialer kind of took about four years, but and that's because it was only done in basically B time when I had enough brain power to do it. So that's right. a very specific set of set of criteria. <laughs> so so like, you were quite it, yeah. disciplined on that. You think I'm not going to do this now because I'm not in the right. I've not got enough energy. I, my, if if enough. my brain couldn't focus on scripting and twine, uh, you know, I couldn't do it. And then the writing, I would, I just did. I had this window of time where I'd get up an hour earlier than I would normally every day and just do an hour of writing every day and that worked really well Okay, to kind of bash that out um, and you to, could to sit and like be that. like right this is the time and, and yeah yeah that kind of thing I, I, I can do if I'm really constrained Right, I, I'm like I have to just do this now because there's no other time and it's not going to get done mm. um, so that I do sort of like weird one weird trick for productivity success <laughs> uh, I, do, I just do sort of stupid because I'm I, I need to sort of manipulate myself a lot ah, that poor poor choice of phrase <laughs> Uh, I need to uh, <laughs> overcome my worst tendencies. No, no. Uh, you know what I mean. Um, you, you have to kind of figure out the way that you work and, and sort of trick yeah. yourself into doing things in a lot of different ways. Uh, and that's sort of the, the main thing I do with that. Writing, I'm because I did freelance writing for a while and I had that thing of like, you have to come up with a concept sort of all the time. You have to constantly pitch things constantly. Now I kind of just write when I want to. And that's the most liberating thing ever. So in terms of like articles and blog posts I've done, it tends to be like something that it's normally something that really frustrates me. That's the main thing that, that uh, will, will cause me to write things. So I think the thing that people probably will have read if they've read any of my posts might be the no man's sky stuff that i did a while ago and that was because the whole issue around that was just so aggravating to me and it was it was such a, an enormous like terrible situation that mm. i just felt like i really had to kind of get in there and, and and try and figure some stuff out and so writing is is me figuring out something that i'm very frustrated with okay. is, is the, the the way that i motivate myself to do to do that kind of writing um oh. and that that's one that tends to like overwhelm other stuff because <laughs> I can't get it out of my brain and that's why I'm trying to write. So that will just happen sometimes at the expense of other things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This needs to come out now. We're doing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So War Dial is out the gates now, right? You're I've all... released it like three hours ago. Yeah. Uh, 
mate. <laughs> I was going to say, what are the frustrations of getting it, getting it out the gate? Like, how does it feel to, how does it feel for a start? Is this your first, first solo, solo project? Yeah, first solo game design ever. Um, huh. Okay, that's. Yeah, uh, it's weird because it was always supposed to be this sort of weird hobby thing and then it kind of turned into something bigger and then I was going to try and make it something even bigger and I decided to kind of rein that in and, and then just release it. So it's just free on itch and then you, but you have to pay for the soundtrack mm. so you can buy the soundtrack or stream it. Um, I don't know. Uh, so it was in the left field collection at Rest, which was like the height of my ambition for it. I thought, okay. like, well, maybe I could send it to you know the left field people and, and sort of see if they wanted to put it in there and it got in and that was that was like incredibly thrilling and, and then just hugely vindicating for sort of me trying to design something trying to make something myself yeah so it was it was in there unfortunately like i didn't get to spend that much time at the show i wasn't very well when the show was on so i just was able to go there for a bit and then i couldn't spend much time but the time i did spend there was was exciting and to see people actually reacting to it and kind of getting it mm. um it's a very obscure game I and mean, it's entirely text-based uh it's <laughs> mostly linear uh it, it, it goes into some really deeply pretentious weird places that i would never <laughs> dream of doing in a commercial project ever um so a lot of it was about me just going what if i just did anything that i want yeah uh and sort of to see if anyone gets that at all um if one person you know finishes the game and says oh, i really like that that's going to be enough for, for that for that project so it's a really weird one having focused a lot on kind of trying to do commercial indie games doing something that's completely not that and a bit janky and you know some people will hate it <laughs> i completely despise it and that's and i'm fine with that and that's yeah. good so it's it's a really real mixed bag and i'm just interested to see a if anyone notices it at all uh and, and b if they do you know whether they like it or not those are kind of my goals for it really how does it feel the difference between say putting out frozen synapse for example compared to like war dallas coming out so you so you literally put it out today yeah and, and you, and you click the little button and you and you just kind of sat here, right? Yeah, I haven't I've been <laughs> I've been checking Twitter like this is good. Like, kind of I kind of wanted to do that, so I sort of had a period of not thinking about it. And um, for for me, I feel it's really nice because normally you're terrified and like looking at Steam stats every five minutes, and you've right. got multiple people going. We always seem to end up in the situation where I was the only one who could see the sales stats, so I'd just be getting messages from everyone every ten minutes. Going, <laughs> so, so I found that massively tedious. I hated that. Yeah, uh, and also being worried about sort of everyone else's welfare and like, are they? Do they think it's doing well enough? Like, is the financial side okay? Like are people happy with the marketing i did like the launch marketing are the reviews okay like not having any of that stuff is great <laughs> um so you ha you don't i mean <laughs> you don't necessarily have the kind of highs that go with that you know frozen signups coming out and remember the first review that dropped was a, was like a nine out of ten from alec mir on eurogamer and like the coalescence of the of those things of like you know alec was someone that we literally grew up kind of reading his stuff and it was eurogamer and it was our first ever sort of review and it was like so that, that from that that high to you know other times when it, you know you've the, the reviews have not been so good uh, to this where no one's going to review this game um <laughs> it's it's sort of it's it's all different flavors and i, I kind of like this flavor it's a lot more relaxing sure sure yeah. it's level, level across it's the a, board right it's it's plain vanilla sure. yeah <laughs> vanilla level yeah um so i mean what's what's the future from here what like what 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 will things look like if you sort of go right? I'm happy with this now. What, what, what's... So I 
I've been through like a, a period of really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, that's been quite, it's sort of been the first real period of, of my life where I haven't just had like another thing to go on to. And like sort of, oh, obviously I'm doing that. So I'm publishing a game, as I, as I mentioned, um, that's going to be announced soon. So there's a lot of time and attention going to be on that. I'm writing the soundtrack for that as well. So it's the first time I've done that for a published game. And that's really interesting because I kind of, I have to really swap roles. Like I'm, you know, I'm the publisher, but I'm also working with the game director designer and he's like, you know, going to give me input on my music. So that's cool. And I'm looking forward to really kind of dedicating a big chunk of time to that. That's really exciting. And it's, you know, working with someone that I know well and we get on super well. So it's really productive. Um, so that's the immediate future. And then I have another much bigger project that I'm lining up for next year where I'm going to be, you know, kind of creative director, lead designer on that. Um, and that might be something where I go for external funding for the first time, uh, which would be interesting. So another different route, bigger, bigger, more ambitious project. Okay. But long term, that's kind of what I want to do. I want to still make music, but I also want to, you know, have a, a creative lead role on some game projects um, and, and sort of, yeah, take on take on more design, more team management and just go from there. See where that takes me. If it's higher budget, if it's lower budget whatever i'm not sure i do a solo solo game again i kind of want to work with artists and i barely know how to use ms paint so it wouldn't be if i did it it would it would look very interesting uh-huh. uh so <laughs> that's kind of a requirement so as soon as you go above one person then you're a team and you get into team stuff so so that's it yeah music and sort of game direction slash design i guess that's a thing. Mike Biffle said it, so I'm allowed to say it. <laughs> <laughs>